business, finance, and economics. This is Finance Fridays, real economics for real life. You're listening to episode three. On this episode, we discuss the whole raft of Global Central Bank's monetary policy reports and decisions that came out this week as they try to steer their economies out of the COVID-19 malaise. Why is this important, are you ask? Perhaps it's because central banks play a significant role in the functioning of a stable economy. They have a profound effect and impact on consumers, businesses and households alike. So, first things first, let us try and understand what central banks are and their role in society. Central banks, sometimes referred to as reserve banks or monetary authorities, are institutions that manage the currency and monetary policy of a state and oversee their commercial banking system. What does that mean? Well, allow me to break it down so you don't have to. We can break down the activities and responsibilities of central banks into four key functions. Function number one. This includes implementing monetary policy policies by setting the official interest rate. You know, that thing that determines the cost of borrowing, loans, credit cards and mortgages, plus how much interest you will receive upon your servings at the end of the year. So the central bank uses this official interest rate to manage inflation, the rise in prices and the country's exchange rate, thereby controlling the nation's entire money supply. Function number two, central banks have a duty to act as the government's banker and as the banker's bank. By banker's bank, I mean your commercial banks. They also need a bank for their activities. Thereby, central banks act as the lender of last resort. Function number three. Central banks are there to manage the country's foreign exchange, gold reserves and government bonds. Finally, function number four. Central banks also regulate and supervise the commercial banking industry, ensuring they're well capitalized, removing the risk of bank runs, for instance. All right, okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sensing a bit of confusion at your end. So permit me to break it down even further. The sole purpose of central banks is to lend. Lending directly and indirectly to businesses and households alike. This is in contrast to fiscal policy, whereby we see governments, finance ministers, treasuries, Their sole purpose is to spend, spending on infrastructure, education, healthcare, for example. 
Cool. We understand the functions of central banks. But the question now remains, how do central banks achieve their policy targets and mandates? Well, they have a toolbox of policy instruments that they can utilize. What are these instruments, I hear you ask? Tool number one, interest rates. This is by far the most visible and obvious policy instrument. As we've referred to it earlier in my um, earlier remarks. Tool number two, open market operations. Through this, a central bank influences the money supply in an economy. They do this by buying securities such as government bonds, which in effect create money by exchanging money for that security. You see what I'm taking there? Tool number three. If central banks want to be a bit more aggressive, they can resort to quantitative easing, also known as QE. Similar to open market operations, QE consists of purchasing financial assets by the central banks. However, there are key, three key differences between QE and open market operations. Firstly, the scale of QE is much larger. Second, the duration of QE is more purposefully longer. And third, the types of assets that are in um, QE purchases are usually wider and more flexible under QE. In that sense, QE is just an extension of open market operations. Should we try one more tool? Tool number four, reserve requirements. Central banks can determine how much of their assets as a percentage they can hold in the form of cash reserves as insurance against bank runs. Now let's get into the nitty gritty of central bank activity seen this week. I guess we can start from the west of the globe and head over to the central banks in the east. We'll start with the Bank of Canada to begin with. Canada Central Bank, under the stewardship of the newly appointed governor, Tiff Macklem, opted to keep its benchmark interest rate at 0.25%. Remember referred to interest rates earlier? Why? Well, the central bank says that interest rates will stay low as Canada faces a long climb out of its COVID-19 hole. From the North America and across the pond arriving in the Eurozone, the European Central Bank, based in Frankfurt, Germany, also known as the ECB, left its expansionary stimulative policy unchanged. On Thursday, the ECB kept its main deposit rate unchanged at minus 0.5% and said its government bond purchases, remember when we mentioned QE earlier? This is it. 
its government bond purchases would continue as long as necessary to reinforce the accommodative impact of its policy rates. Why? Well, as the economic outlook of the Eurozone tentatively brightens, the ECB is holding its powder dry and being cautious as it accurately tries to gauge the pace of the economic recovery seen in the month of June after a gradual lifting of lockdown measures designed to mitigate the spread of the coronavirus. Moving on to East Asia with the Bank of Korea, South Korea that is. They too left their key interest rate policy rate unchanged at a record, record low 0.5%. On Thursday, avoiding the risk of fueling runaway property prices in the capital city Seoul and its metropolitan area amid the South Korean government's efforts to tamp down on demand in the housing market. Okay, why did the Bank of Korea adopt this monetary policy stance? Perhaps it's also got to do with the governor, with the governor's bleak outlook for the trade-reliant economy due to weaker exports for their goods and services. Think Samsung smartphones and televisions, Hyundai cars and other LG electronics. From Asia's fourth largest economy to Asia's second largest economy, the Bank of Japan, also known as the BOJ, maintained its loose monetary policy stance by keeping interest rates unchanged at 0.1% and held its roughly $1 trillion support lending scheme for firms impacted by the coronavirus. Remember when you mentioned the sole purpose of central banks is to lend? This is what we're talking about right here. The Bank of Japan also released its outlook for the current fiscal year, signalling a 4.7% contraction in GDP, which is of course attributed to the coronavirus economic downturn. However, they do expect Japan's economy to gradually improve in the latter half of this year. But the pace of the recovery will be moderate as the effect of the global pandemic remains. Why did the BOJ take this approach? Well, I think it's similar to the ECB. The BOJ is being cautious and holding its powder dry, given the uncertainties and various risks, including the possibility of a huge second wave of the COVID-19, and thus lockdown measures again and potential disruptions to balance sheets of the banking system through delving deeper into negative interest rates harming the profitability of their banks so the question remains what do i make of all of this and how can we make sense of the monetary policy decisions undertaken by central banks this week well my take is this central banks usually execute their work based upon a lot of assumptions and narratives. 
and the key assumptions that I identified in the monetary policy reports and discussions outlined by central banks this week from the Bank of Canada on Tuesday to the European Central Bank on Thursday, among others, is that 1. There won't be a broad-based second wave of the pandemic in their jurisdiction and globally, leading to more lockdowns. 2. Most large-scale containment measures for COVID-19 will be gradually lifted, as we are already seeing. Assumption number three, the pandemic will have largely run its course by mid-2022. I think there, people are banking on the discovery of an effective low-cost vaccine. Also, I think central banks are signalling that they are ready and willing to do more. However, it's important to point out that monetary policy is not the only game in town. Governments also need to step up to the plate, and to be fair, they have. In the US, Congress passed the Payment Protection Program under the $2 trillion CARES Act in order to fund struggling small and medium-sized enterprises. In addition, they offered stimulus checks of up to $1,200 handed to eligible American households. But more can and must be done. In Brussels, the European Council European Union Council leaders are meeting on Friday to debate into the weekend fiscal stimulus for the bloc in terms of how much each nation receives, funding, plus how they'll pay for this later on down the line. And this will see and going into the weekend, we'll see how that materializes and what comes out of the meeting next week. Well, that has been it for episode three of the Finance Fridays podcast. Be sure to subscribe from your favorite podcast provider. I hope that you've been educated on all monetary policy matters, including the activities and responsibilities of central banks, and that you've been informed of all the big central bank decisions from this week and their various impacts. Join us next week as we discuss what came out or didn't come out of the EU's meeting on the fiscal recovery plan. Will they or won't they agree on a comprehensive package for their ailing economies? That and much more on Finance Fridays next week. By the way, I know last week we said Finance Fridays was going to launch a new segment by the name of The Economy Explainer. Clearly, that hasn't happened, but it's still in the pipeline. Um, so stay tuned for that. At the moment, just trying to expand the brand, looking for partnerships, um, collaborations, wherever I can find them. Within the industry, and yeah, I think good things are to come. Stay tuned. 
and i'm just glad that everyone's a part of it and yeah we'll see what comes out but on that note finance fridays signing out peace